Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. From time to time on the podcast, we will use Bible classes and sermons that were delivered at the Somerdale Church of Christ in Somerdale, Alabama, or other locations where I've had the opportunity to speak. And so this particular broadcast is one of those sermons from Somerdale. We hope that you enjoy it. Back several years ago, I was uh, counseling a couple, and they had been married for about five years or th- four years, something like that at the point. And they were just going through a rough patch. Uh, unfortunately, they had gone through several miscarriages together, I think five or six together, and so they had had a rough few years. And so they came in and sat down, and we were going over just a few things that maybe could help in the counseling, and I said, uh, tell me what you do. I always talk to the guys, say, tell me what you do when you get angry. What do you do when you get angry? And he's like, well, you know, I go for a drive, I go do this, I go do that, go to the other room, go outside. And I asked her, I said, what do you do? when you get angry. And she goes, well, that's easy. She said, I just clean the toilet. And I thought, okay, all right, that's one way to do it. And uh, we sat there for a moment and he goes, really, that's what you do? She goes, absolutely. Every time I clean the toilet. And he goes, well, how does that help you? And she said, well, I use your toothbrush. I said, that's got to go down as one of the funniest and yet the craziest stories. I asked her after that, I said, do you kiss him? She goes, not that day, you know, not that day. He's, he's at toilet water. Well, I encouraged her to find a more healthy way to deal with her anger. Today, we're going to have some time to study. We're doing, talking about gentleness and humility. So I felt like this would fall into this category of learning how to control our anger. Jesus speaks of it here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, and he specifically tells those that are listening to him, you know, you've heard it said of old that you shouldn't murder. You've, you've heard the scriptures. You know that we're not supposed to take a life. But he says, I want you to take it a step further. I want you to see that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause will be in danger of judgment. And he says not even to be at the point of name-calling in our anger there in this text. He says, if you say that word, I won't tell you what that word means. You can look it up. It is a word that would seem to be much like one of our curse words. Hopefully you've never spoken it. But it's translated there partially as a foolish person, a foolish man. Don't ever, the Lord says, don't ever find yourself in a situation where you're so angry that this word comes out of your mouth, or you'll be in danger, he says, of hellfire. That's pretty extreme, to say the least. That having the anger burning inside of you so much that you go into a fit of name-calling, Jesus says, hell awaits those that do that. Now that's a tough teaching, isn't it? Because we probably have all been at a point where we've been angry. We've probably all been at a point at some time in our life where we've said something that we regret. And Jesus says, be careful because judgment is harsh on those who treat their brothers without a cause with anger. 
I want to share with you just a few thoughts that I have when I read this text. The first is, we have to see the reality of anger. Anger is real. We all have moments where we get angry. Notice he uses the words, whoever, whoever, whoever. Did you see that? Three times. I, something's repeated in the Bible. It's repeated for a reason. So it says, whoever. So in other words, Jesus is talking to an audience where he doesn't call them out by name, but you know he's pretty much speaking to everybody present. Anyone here who has ever found themselves in a position of anger needs to be careful how they handle it. Now I'll deal with that second part, but let's just talk about how anger is real. Jesus deals with something that was common in his day that is still just as common today. Anger is real. If anger is real, and Jesus says, whoever is angry, talking to his disciples, and he says, without a cause, it is sin, what about those who are angry with a cause? What if somebody has really done something that is meant to offend, is meant to harm, is meant to discourage? Is there anywhere we can go in Scripture that tells us about anger? Well, I submit to you that there is at least one story I already gave a little bit of the text away to the class where Jesus does in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, it's seen in the other Gospels uh, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he goes into the temple complex to teach for that last week we call the Passion Week. He removes what seems to be implied force to get others out of the temple. Now, I know that we said this morning Jesus begins to braid this cord together to remove them. It doesn't say that he hit anybody. It doesn't say that he threatened anyone. It says he moved over some tables. But with his authority, he makes this whip, and they are in tune. They say, wait a minute, we need to get out of here. They have specifically done something to the temple complex, at least the outer courtyard, for the purposes of making money to exchange coins and goods, and to be able to take more from the Jewish people. And Jesus fashions a cord and removes them from the temple property. Now, I don't know anybody that could do that and say, I wasn't angry about it. Then why did you do it? There are a few cases, even in Jesus' own life and in his ministry, where he was frustrated. And we might say even angry. The rebuke of the Pharisees is one of the most famous. You begin to read Matthew 22, 23, and 24, and if you didn't see that he had a conflict with the Pharisees before then, you've been blind. But this section, he gives the woes to the Pharisees. You better look out. Jesus even uses a phrase in his ministry regarding the Pharisees by calling them a bunch of snakes, serpents, you're a, and he also says on another occasion, the sons of the devil. Now, those are harsh words, but those words were absolutely true. Jesus uses this as a teaching point. And anyone who lives in this world, and anyone who is constantly surrounded by sin, is going to get angry. We're going to be frustrated by the way things are going. We're not going to be happy when we see anger. Now, we, of course, love the individual, and we love the people. We're supposed to love our enemies, 
But sometimes things happen and we get frustrated about it. We get angry about it. It makes us anxious. Job has that moment. He gets anxious. He gets frustrated. He calls out to God, come down here, tell me what I did wrong. Now that anger is used, in that case, begins to use it in a negative sense. But there are many times in our lives that anger can be good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14, Paul talks about godly sorrow that produces repentance. And that sorrow is a frustration and an anger at yourself. Man, I have those moments. In fact, if I had a camera following me around I, at least two, three times a day, I'd say, Ray, you know, don't be like that. What did you do? I call myself out. I get mad at myself. Anybody get mad at themselves? That's completely normal. Completely normal to be angry. Godly sorrow produces repentance. When I get angry about my sin, I then choose to repent. If we're not angry at sin, there's a problem. I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to walk in sin. I don't want to be around others who are in sin. The second thing I want you to notice from the text is there is a righteous part to anger. I heard a sermon one time in my youth. I wish I had taken more notes, but at that time I didn't do that in my Bible. And he talked about righteous indignation. Anybody ever heard those phrases before? Y'all with me? Hello? Righteous indignation. Anger is not always a bad thing. How do I know that? Listen to Jesus. Whoever gets angry without a cause. Did you see that? Underline that. If you get angry without a cause, we have a problem. But if you're angry with a cause, if you have righteous indignation concerning something, that's totally different. Ben Franklin once said, anger is never without a reason, but seldom a good one. And sometimes we get frustrated about things that we should not get frustrated about, but anger is normal and can be used for good. Listen to what the Bible says about righteous indignation. Proverbs 15 and verse 8, people with a quick temper cause trouble, but those who control their tempers stop a quarrel. Ephesians 4.26, this is a big one. This is if you, if you, if besides the text we read, another good one to study is Ephesians 4.26. It says, when you're angry, do not sin. Do not sin. And then he says, Paul says, just make sure you fix it before the sun goes down. Later in the same text in verse 31, he says, never shout angrily at others. Don't harm others with your words. Never do anything evil. Everybody gets angry. We've got to learn how to handle that anger. We will, in next month's lessons, talk about self-control. I actually thought about waiting on this for a few more weeks, but for whatever reason, the Lord put it on my heart to talk about today. Everybody gets angry, but Christians need to know how to handle anger. The world treats things differently. You get angry, you do something about it. The world says, you got somebody that takes something from you, you go and you take something from them. If the world is ugly to you, you be ugly to the world. There ain't nothing wrong with that. The world says, you go get what you deserve. You, you fight for whatever you want. And in that case, many times taking what we do not deserve. 
There is a righteous indignation. But with the flip side, of course, anger can be reckless. That's the third thought. Anger can be a reckless, reckless thing. In the text, it says danger three times. Danger, danger, danger. In the spring of 1984, and I believe I shared this when we were over in the other building. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles were playing in Boston in just this uh, routine baseball game. And what happened was the Orioles' uh, John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. And they began to fight and fuss and fight and fuss, and they clear both benches. And before long, it spills into the stands, and the fans are fighting each other until one of them set fire to a trash can, which then caught the bleachers on fire, which then caught the stadium on fire, and which continued to grow from bad to worse until when they were able to get all the fire out. And this is the only real photograph at that time that's taken of right after the aftermath of this thing. A hundred and seven buildings in Boston were burned. People were injured. And why? Because of a baseball game. Now, surely now we're so educated. You know, we're so, ele- we're so much better as a society since then. We don't get angry about games. We don't get angry about things that we're not even actively involved in. We never shouted a television. We never get mad. Parents never get mad when their kids are playing a game out on the field. I've never raised my voice to an official. I've never said that's a bad call, you know. Now we all have had those moments. This is an extreme. And this is the reason why anger is painted as reckless. Without a cause, we get mad, we get angry. The word danger and anger are only separated by one letter. Some anger is deadly. People all the time will be put into jail for losing control. They lose their head. They throw stones. They, they say, hey, throw stones or be stoned. They want, to, they want to be the one who fights first. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, and I've had this conversation with my kids. You know, if somebody picks on you, you got to stand up for yourself. But sometimes the attitude is strike first before they get you. That's reckless. Some anger can be devastating. Ephesians 4.26 talks about how we need to be careful to not let that anger fester, to turn into wrath. We need to let, let it out before the sun goes down. Wake up a different person. Anger leads to sin. That's why it says be angry and sin not. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to let it well up inside of myself until I bite somebody's head off about it. I've got to learn to control it. In Acts 26, 11, Paul tells how his anger reached a point that he began to have Christians persecuted and some even killed. That's part of his testimony. That's part of his story. And he told people, I had this anger in me and I used it in a way to harm people. Now, we're supposed to have anger. It's a natural thing. But instead of using that anger to lash out at someone, we pray on it. We're anxious for nothing. But by our prayer and supplication, we bring our request to God, and we know that God will handle it. Now, we got to be careful we don't use too much tongue-in-cheek. 
oh, the Lord's going to get him for that, you know. Oh, he's going to get it. He's, she's going to pay one day. Somebody's going to get a hold of her. Somebody's going to get a hold of him. And we almost long for God to take vengeance. But yet God has been extremely merciful to us. God has been extremely graceful to us. And we have to learn to be graceful to others. One of the hardest teachings Jesus ever got his disciples to hear. If you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive other people. If you want mercy, if you want grace, you have to show it to others. Because otherwise, that anger can be reckless. Even in leaders of the church, it says not to be a person who's a brawler or reckless with their anger. Number four, there's a reproach. Anger can be a reproach to you and to others. In fact, Jesus says, watch out for the judgment. He reminds them of the Old Testament interpretations of, of murder and, and doing these things. And he puts it in a more spiritual context. And he says, in the same text, you shouldn't even have hate for somebody. We've got to be at a place spiritually where we begin to say, I've got to be more like Christ. I've got to be a living example of Christ in the world. I, if the world's going to see light, it has to be through me. And that's not to be arrogant. It's just to say, I've got to do better. I've got to try harder. I've got to be a better person. Notice Jesus says, whoever says, whoever says. Again, think before you speak. You could give yourself a death sentence. Think before you speak. Does does that harsh criticism, does that statement, is what needs to be discussed with that individual, is it really that important that you might harm them spiritually? Is it, is it that important that you tell them how angry and how frustrated you are? Sometimes we need to take that to God first, church. Take it to God first. Then we take it to that person. If you react, quick react, to everything that happens, it takes God out of the equation. Now, I know we're Christians. We're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. We've been guided by the Word of God. We've gone to church. We've prayed. We've read our Bible. But God needs to be a part of that resolution. And that means there needs to be prayer before there's a confrontation. In Proverbs 19 and verse 11, it says, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 16.32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The greatest generals that have ever walked the earth, the greatest leaders, the greatest lords, the greatest kings, Solomon says are not as great as somebody who's figured out to keep their mouth shut. Now that's, that's interesting. The best thing we can do is to be careful before we speak. My mom used to always say it. Your mama probably did too. If you can't say something nice, say something bad, right? No, how's that go? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. A lot of you didn't have a mama like that. <laughs> Maybe you did, but my mom was like that. My mom would say that repeatedly. Don't say anything. My mom always also took it to another extreme. When we go to people's houses, she'd always say, now children are supposed to be seen and not, oh, you ha we did have the same kind of mom, okay? 
to be quiet, don't say anything, keep to yourself. Before the door opened on the car, she would say, be on your best. Wow, we, we, we know this. We know this. This is how a Christian lives in the world. We're on our best behavior. If we don't have anything nice to say, we don't have to say anything at all. And if we want to be treated with respect and admiration and seen as someone who's wise, we have to be careful to guard our tongue. James says, if you can do that, it's like, it's like an unruly fire. It's like, a, it's like a wildfire. The tongue can do all kinds of damage, but we've got to learn to control that tongue because it will hurt us. When Paul faced vengeance of the Jews, how did he respond? He responded by showing love and kindness, even though they beat him and they frustrated him over and over again. Paul talks about heaping coals of fire on their head by doing good deeds. Some people call it killing them with kindness. But we stand above. We try harder. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. That's what we're called to do. And finally, there's got to be some resolve. Anger needs to be resolved. One of the greatest statements of a Christian when someone passes from this life is to say, that they were a good neighbor, they were a good friend. They said kind things. Anger that leads to wrath and to vengeance. Christians are above those things. That's not who we are. In fact, when Christians react with violence, we will immediately say, we're not like that. We don't do that. That's not us. I remember many years ago, I was studying some of the teachings of Gandhi to help with a world religions class. And he was very famous for making a statement, I love Christ. But Christians, not so much. He didn't like dealing with Christians, but he said their Christ is awesome. Jesus is amazing if, if people would just be more like him. Spiritual people who bear the fruit of the Spirit learn to overcome things through Christ. Anger and frustration needs to be resolved. All of our issues need to be prayed about and talked about in a loving way. Anger can motivate us to do things before it's too late. I was talking to a man once who was very sick, was on hospice. And he was worried about his son who wasn't a Christian, who had denied his faith and left the church. And I said, how, how do you feel about that? What can we do about that? And he said, I won't give up on him until I breathe my last. He prayed for that young man. He struggled because of the sin that man was in, the young man was in. We know that it, it bothers us when people we know are lost, and we need to learn how to speak to them, to talk to them. We need to change the way we approach people. Approaching people in a spirit of compassion and love is always going to be more effective than one of criticism and judgment. And so if anger is resolved in my life, I suppose it's important for me to teach others how to handle that anger. One of the funniest stories, we were living in Idaho. We decided to do a uh, cleanup day. I forget what we called it. But one Saturday, the whole church came, showed up, and we painted the classrooms. We actually painted all the doors primary colors. And so we could tell the kids what door to go to in color instead of going, hey, go find the one that's uh, two, if they are out of diapers, and three to four years old, but not first graders and kindergartners. You know, sometimes those signs, I've been to churches where the signs are all written out like this. We would just tell people, go to the red door. 
And it worked great. We didn't have to have signs everywhere. Go to the green door, go to the yellow door, go to the blue door. We started with primary colors, we had to move to some others, but it was really neat. And so we were working on a whole bunch of things, and down in the basement, I was working in what was at that time the fellowship hall, and there was a lady who was working in the, uh, in the room next to me on something, and she was using a hammer. And you hear, thud! And she goes, oh! No! <laughs> and the brother that was in there says, that all you're going to say? And she said, yeah, yeah, it hurts. I mean, she had big old blood blister underneath that finger, and she it wrapped it up for a couple weeks. She hurt. And we were impressed. And I said, Did you, you, you held yourself together because you were in the church, right, around Christian? I said, no, I don't use that kind of language. Some might say if you're injured or you're hurt in that way, it might be justified. God will forgive that if you are in a moment of recklessness. But it sets quite a tone for people around us when even in difficult times as Christians, we handle it with grace. There are Christian families that we know very well that have overcome the worst of tragedies, the most difficult of circumstances, and you say, how did you get through it? How have you handled that? How have you handled difficult people? How have you handled tragedy? And how did you do it? I said, only with God in prayer. Only because God was with me. Only because the Lord gave me strength. And such statements are made, and the world needs more of us like that. For those that say, I'm going to walk faithfully, faithfully with God, and I'm going to guard my tongue, and I'm going to watch my tone, and I'm not going to get angry without a cause, and I'm going to be more like Jesus. And close with a final story. Like the lady in the first part of our message today, I don't know how many of you know Sarah, the Duchess of Marlborough, know this story. She, uh, she got in trouble with the Duke. They had a little scuffle, a little fight, young married couple. And he married her. One of the reasons why is he loved her hair. She had the most beautiful long hair. And she got in a fight with him. And she took some scissors. Actually, she was sitting in the bathroom and wouldn't leave the bathroom. She was so angry. She grabbed some scissors and she cut off her hair. In this picture, she's holding it. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why is this lady in this photograph with her hair cut off? Well, I'll tell you why. She called up the artist who did all the paintings for them in their home. And she said, I want you to paint a picture of me holding this hair. And to this day, we still see photographs of her. And it was such a downtrodden look and so frustrated. She's holding on to that hair. And she wanted her husband to remember. And she wanted her children to remember. And she wanted the nation to remember. And she wanted you to remember. And she got mad at her husband about something. And boy, she gave it to him. That's her hair. That's not his hair. That's ridiculous. Who would do such an idiotic, dumb thing? That's just, that's the, I would never. Hold on, church. I would never hold something against someone else so badly I want the world to know. When someone offends you, when someone hurts you, what's your first reaction? I'll bet we have gunny sacks full of spiritual things that we've dealt with that in a moment's notice, when we're arguing with our spouse, we can pull that out and throw it at the feet. Oh, you remember when you did this? You remember when you said that? I'm glad that she did this photograph 
to show us what it looks like to others when we hold a grudge or we hold anger or when we seek vengeance. It only hurts us ourselves. It will hurt others for a moment, but it tells a lot about our character. I encourage you to think this week, when you encounter difficult circumstances, and you will, when the guy in front of you doesn't understand green means go, when the mailman skips your house, when the package doesn't arrive on time, when that person at work intentionally does something to push your button, don't be like the Duchess of Marlborough. Let it go. Give it to God and let it go. Thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.